Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here as always with Dane Lee. Today we're going to talk a little bit uh, about bench programming, go over some uh, some things, and actually get into how to set up blocks, uh, what variations to use. We're going to go over a little bit on recovery, um, how to make sure the shoulders and pecs and everything stay healthy. Um, first, I want to start out, a lot of people... Um, when I see them doing their bench program, one of the biggest things they screw up on is they're pushing way too much volume uh, with their bench. So volume isn't always the the ultimate driver of strength gains. I know a lot of people seem to think that, but there's only so much volume you can do um, to elicit growth before you start getting a negative response on it. So you, you know, you can't be pushing, let's say you're in that hypertrophy phase and you're pushing sets of eight, nine, 10, whatever. Um, you know, and you're doing four sets, five sets. Okay. Like that's somewhat typical. Um, but what I'll see a lot is people will drive down to like, you know, a five by six, a six by six, um, something like that at a fairly high percentage, um, for that, that rep range, uh, being, you know, 75, 80%, um, which, you know, like a five by five at 75%, somewhat typical. It's should be a, a pretty challenging day. Um, you know, as far as the science is concerned, like you should be able to hit it should, you know, elicit some growth, but understand that you don't need to keep driving those same concepts. You don't need to keep driving that same rep range down your throat. Like, so when you're setting up your blocks, um, typically what I'll like to see, now it depends what you're using, linear, if you're using you know, block periodization or what, um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So let's kind of go over frequency first. Uh, frequency is going to be a little bit more important in the beginning. Uh, new lifters, you need to understand you know, the, the basic concepts of bench press. You need to work on your technique. Um, you know, we're, we're highly around build technique first and then bring the weight up later. Um, so frequency, you know, that might start out at three times a week. Um, I've seen four, I don't completely, uh, think that's necessary, but a three time a week frequency, um, can be all right, you know, especially early on. Most people are doing a two time a week frequency with one of those D's, uh, days being some sort of variation. So you might have, you know, your typical comp bench press, um, one day and then, Let's say you're, you know, you have a secondary that day of uh, closed grip. You might have a spoto. You know, you might have various other things. That second day is usually more of a variation, um, especially if you're further out from competition. The closer you get into competition, needs to be a little bit more specific. Uh, so you might have an actual, you know, second bench, true bench day. Um, but on those days, I like to throw in maybe a football bar. You might do floor press, spoto, uh, more of a closed grip focused. Um, sometimes, you know, wide grip just depends on, you know, who it is, what's going on there. Uh, could be a speed, you know, focus day, things like that. Um, or, you know, like I said, it could be a, uh, typical bench day and where you might've had one day that was a little bit heavier. Maybe this day is a little bit lighter, maybe a couple more reps. Um, maybe it's just a lighter day, uh, call it a, you know, six by three, which isn't going to be a ton of reps in any one set, but maybe lighter so you can focus on perfect technique throughout those three reps, but have a decent amount of volume within that. Um, <clears throat> one block that I kind of like to run, um, and I've seen, 
you know, I've had other people and I've had other coaches actually run this with their clients and uh, usually produces some good results. Now, this would be in the off season. Um, maybe mm, I, I wouldn't start this like directly after a meet. You need a little bit of time to heal, but maybe a block or two after the meet. Uh, something I like to do is you go one block, uh, which meaning, you know, a three, four week cycle of running um, the bench press with a buffalo or a buffalo bar or a duffalo, if you want to call it that, if you got the one from Chris Duffin. Um, <clears throat> but this bar will increase your range of motion a little bit. It will help with muscle growth. And, and with that increased range of motion, you're going to strengthen, you know, the tendons, ligaments and the musculature that you normally wouldn't be able to get um, throughout that typical rep or through that range unless you're using like dumbbells or something like that. Um, so that's for, you know, kind of helping elicit growth. Now you don't have to use it for every single session. It can be for, uh, one session out of the week. And then, you know, the, the other time you can do a, um, straight bar, you know, or another variation football bar, you know, floor press, whatever. Um, I would not, especially for, uh, beginners, I would not run that buffalo bar twice a week that might be uh, too much overstretching on the muscle uh, and, you know cause injury and things uh, after that block i like to go into a block where it's more spoto focused so spoto is a type of bench press you're basically stopping that bar uh, about an inch and a half two inches away from touching the chest it's used to help uh, you know learn how to use your lats learn how to stay tight in the bottom of the bench press help on breathing bracing um and just overall technique it's a it's a technique builder um and then the next block back to normal benching so what happens here is you you know throughout those blocks you worked your hypertrophy you build a little bit of muscle up you had that increased range of motion so when you go back to then learning how to get tight learning how to you know, make sure that you're using your lats properly and all the things correctly for the typical bench press. Now you're back to normal bench press. That range of motion feels much shorter and you're a lot, usually a lot stronger, uh, especially out of the hole. So that's just one thing, one concept um, out of many, but, you know, give it a try. See if it helps you. If you got nothing to lose in the off season or if you're a beginner, you know, go ahead and give it a shot. You, you got nothing to lose there. So um, like I said, we've seen pretty good results with it. Um, another thing with, you know, bench is it's one of those things. There's so many variations, just like the rest of the lifts. You can add chains to things. You can add bands to things. Um, you can work on speed, you know, you can push the weight, you know, keep pushing the weight heavy, 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 and just, you know, see how that goes for you. Um, one of the big things that people do is they go way too heavy on their bench too often also for too much volume. So, um, I've, I've made this mistake before too, where I think, okay, well, I got that for a triple now, you know, maybe I'll work up to a double heavier and then I just keep trying to push a little bit heavier. And I've explained this in another episode that, that has a stalling point. Um, you know, you pretty much peak it up and then you're going to stall out. So what I would suggest is that when you're setting up your bench blocks, um, make sure that if you're going to have a time when you get a little bit heavier don't pull that don't peak that out for too long you need to come back dial it down focus back on reps and just moving the bar with solid techniques a lot of times when you do get heavy your technique goes to shit 
Um, but then also let your body recover. You're, you're probably doing too much. You're probably causing too much fatigue. The next thing you know, your elbows are killing you, your shoulders are hurting, your pecs are hurting, um, or you tear your pecs. So, um, those are kind of some big things with that bench press and you should not always be doing a one rep. Uh, all of you SBD guys with your RPEs every week and you're only doing one rep and you think because it's specific to the competition bench press of doing one rep that it's going to magically help you. Uh, it's not. Typically it's not. So sorry to burst your bubble. Um, you can't sit there and do singles every week and expect to produce results. You need to be doing things a little bit more volume triples sets of four sets of five and even if you're working up to a one rep and then backing down that's it's not the same thing i get that with the concept you guys are trying to follow but typically that's not going to work uh, especially for the lifters who aren't very experienced um, you know that's where i typically see it and you guys need your volume at, at the proper weight the proper frequency and um without overdoing it but without doing one rep at a seven this week and a one rep at a nine another next week and all that stuff that make it makes no sense so um for those beginners as i've said many times focus on refining your setup learn the basics um, i see a lot of you guys that will set up and your uh, wrists are way outside of your elbows or way inside of your elbows for whatever reason um you won't set up with your back tight. Your your back is completely flat. You're not retracting anything. You're not learning how to um, use your lats at all in the movement. You're pressing from too high up on your chest, causing you know basically all the strain on your pec minor and the uh, anterior delt. So learn the basics and the basic concepts around technique. Make sure that you're in line. You know wrists into elbow typically your elbows are going to flare off your body at about a 45 degree angle um, a lot of people will try to go out to like that 80 to 90 degree angle and there's very 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 few people in the world that can do a solid bench press that way um, even when they do you can see that the wrist is in line with the elbow but um, very few people can keep their lats tight by doing that um, i think Lindsay is one of the few people I've ever seen that are able to have a strong bench press benching like that. Um, and this comes from a lot of people just try to mimic those people that they see online. So understand that that's for most people, not going to be the most optimal way to bench press. Um, for a lot of you that have that good 45 degree, 50 degree angle off the body, you're able to push your lats down towards your hips a little bit easier and keep them tight. You know, your press is um, more in line with where it should be, which is for most people right at the um, right at the sternum area, maybe pushing into the um, the bottom of the pack. It just, again, depends on leverages and limb lengths and things like that. But um, like I said, learn your basic setups uh, before you try to get into advanced techniques. But uh, hopefully that little tidbit kind of helps with the bench programming. We could go on forever on that stuff but we're trying to limit this uh, just point put a few tips out there and, and move on so uh, Dane's going to go over some recovery things to keep your uh, pecs healthy your shoulders healthy and everything that you'll need for the bench press so I'll try not to dive too deep into it I'm bad at that though um, some of the tissue management things that I have 
uh, worked on in the past with the powerlifters here at the gym are usually around when technique changes. So I'm going to make a really big assumption and say that when technique changes, it is changing and being done correctly. So for example, um, they're working with Justin as a coach and he realizes like, hey, you need to bring your hands a little bit wider to get a, a better press coming out of it or you know, coming in a little bit. And then they decide that they're going to stay at the same weight and intensity once you've done that. And it's the wrong way to phrase it because it's too ambiguous uh, to put it this way or too general to put it this way. But basically, once you've changed technique, even if it's better technique, you are essentially deconditioned. Like the body is much less efficient. And so if you are someone who benches, let's say, you know, um, 315, and you realize, okay, I need to move my hands out, you can't go back to 315 and maintain that weight moving forward and think that there aren't going to be you know, some level of repercussion. Like you're going to have different strain that happens on the pecs and through the elbows and through the delts because you've changed where the load is placed. And even if it's a more efficient position, you've changed that stress. So a lot of what I do with people is helping them in their transition as they go into competition prep because for, you start to do the competition bench more often. And a lot of times uh, that changes where you're going to have stresses. And I help them whether it's uh, differences in the load going through the delt or through the pack, etc. Uh, not just because of changes in intensity or differences in volume, but just where the stress is. So when you're going in through like a higher volume phase, and that is much less nervous system driven, and you want to handle dealing with the muscle, most of what I see people do is just, oh, I'm going to stretch. Like, well, okay, that's one piece of a puzzle. Like there are very efficient and effective massage things that you can do if you go to a practitioner, but doing one piece of it, like stretching, like that's not going to cut it as you're getting that higher volume. Um, and along the idea of stretching in preparation for things, unless you're doing, because like you brought this up with the Buffalo bar, unless you're doing a movement that is giving you a bigger range of motion, I usually don't advocate for doing something like, um, like the PNF stretching prior necessarily, because you're going to increase range of motion for someone who might not have proprioception in that increased range. And so you start to lose a little bit of some of the tension at the bottom of the bench. Yeah. And you have, and for a, a well-seasoned lifter, that's fine because they're aware of their body. They know what that is. And they're going to be you know, conscious of what they're doing all through the warmups. But you take a new lifter who doesn't have good technique, doesn't have a strong foundation or a lot of background. They're still learning what their body's going through. They're learning how to create tension and maintain that. And then you suddenly increase the range of motion, which PNF is fantastic for that. It's really effective. Um, and you can make it that much harder for them. And I see people do it all the time. They're like, oh, here's a really good stretch. It is. It's a great stretch. But prior to lifting, is that the best option for you? No. Um, and if you take that and you add on like a lot of volume and or you start getting into like a higher intensity phase, you start to then increase the amount of strain that happens on those end ranges. Now, you know, compare that to something like the, you know, the Buffalo bar where mm -hmm. you want that increased range, then there's a smart way to do that. And like, that's a separate conversation. Like that's a really good thing. Like with that, that Buffalo bar too, you'll, you know, we don't go heavy on it. Like I'm, I always have them leaving 
pretty much like there's reps in the tank for yeah. sure. Um, and one of those reasons is, is like you said, with that increased range of motion, that stability factor, especially mm-hmm. if they're a little bit newer on earth, it's their first time using it. Um, that stability factor starts to go a little bit in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we want to do is get them, you know, coming out of the hole unstable, maybe try to utilize a, a muscle or an area that they're not used to, right. or not prepared for. And then that's how, you know, those little tweaks or little injuries happen anyway. So, um, and like you said, like you throw that in maybe once a week mm-hmm. and you have someone who is new to lifting. They don't understand how that changes the stress on the body. And they're yeah. like, oh, this is fantastic. I should do it all the time. Yeah. No. And then, well, you'll see people too try to take that and then they'll, they'll try to go heavier on it. No. It's like, yeah. you know, for, for more advanced lifters, they might be able to get away with that. Um, I've never been a big advocate for, um, doing too much weight in that excessive range mm-hmm. uh, especially with that type of bar now with like with dumbbells it's a it's a little bit different because it's not the same um the same type of loading and you know if something goes wrong in the bottom of that you know you move your wrist and the dumbbell drops yeah you know what i mean with a barbell i mean especially if you don't have a spotter you're going to be forced to press that straight mm-hmm. up too so um yeah, it's one of those things that you have to be kind of aware of your body, aware of like your experience, aware of, you know, if you're a seasoned athlete, you know, you might be able to get away with a little bit more, but new athletes need to be very aware and cautious. So. Especially with new athletes, the bench press is not nearly as nervous system demanding mm-hmm. as the squat or the deadlift, mm-hmm. but it's still demanding, especially as a newer lifter, if you're learning technique, like learning the process is itself a very demanding nervous system activity so you add uh, a concept like the buffalo bar or sorry buffalo bar on top of it it's like you've compounded learning and then you try and go heavy on it and then you do it too often like that's a recipe for disaster yeah and that like what he's saying that's going to be something that that's definitely an episode topic for later is um when you're learning something new um you are using your nervous system more than you were aware of mm-hmm. just because it is um you know not heavy doesn't mean you're not learning but then also if you're learning something new that is not the time to try to push the weight on that new thing either no. and you see that a lot like oh this new bar i'm gonna i've never used it before but you know what i'm gonna learn it and then in four weeks from now i'm gonna max out with that bar mm-hmm. and no there's no point to that i i see it a lot actually usually with People have been lifting about two or three years because mm-hmm. they have technique you know, starting to get dialed in and they're moving better weights. And uh, at that point, they've been dedicated with it long enough that um, they've got a solid idea of what their goals are and what they're trying to push for. And then someone says like, hey, let's correct some of your positioning. And suddenly it feels better. Um, you know, Whether you see it with the squats, like, hey, let's bring the hands out a little bit wider. Let's change where the bar is on your back. Let's you know, fix your foot angle, something like that. And all of a sudden things move better. And then they're like, oh, this is fantastic. That means I should keep going up and wait doing this. And that's like, you just have to put the brakes on at that moment and say, just because it's better doesn't mean that this is what you're going to use mm-hmm. at higher, or sorry, you shouldn't start using higher weights yet. Again, coming back to the idea, you are essentially deconditioned because it comes down to motor yeah. efficiency so or the to, neuro you efficiency. To, you have to progressively overload it a little yeah. smarter than if it's something that you've been doing for years and it's you know you already kind of have the pattern down or mm-hmm. you know maybe you did have some technique decay um during your peak or whatever during your the end of your prep 
um, but you're coming back to something you're more experienced with, okay, we can progress that a little bit faster than if it's a new movement, you know, progress that a little slower. So, As far as like the massage stuff, um, it's a whole different conversation talking about when to do massage and what type of massage you want to do in relation to benching, whether regardless of what phase you're in, each one of those phases can be a, a different recovery conversation. But like, yes, you should have a soft tissue practice that goes beyond stretching, that goes beyond just a good warm up, and hopefully you have a good warm up. Um, especially when you're looking Coming in and just jumping on the bars, yeah. Warm up. It's it's part of a good warm up, and yeah. but it's not the entire thing. Yeah. But when you start looking at increasing strain on range of motion, which is necessary, or doing things that are going to work on uh, increasing technique or engaging parts of the body yeah. that they're not used to, as far as like like you saying with the like, you know, stopping the bar a couple of inches above the chest and, like, feeling the lats engaged. Like, that is going to strain, for lack of a, a better word, yeah. different muscles. You have to have a tissue practice involved in that. Whether it, I, I love using the Rapid Reboots because it's very efficient for what it does. It doesn't do everything, but what it does, it does well. Yeah. And you just kind of check that off the list. So if you can do that for the arms and then you have a stretching practice that goes in there too and you have someone that you're going to, these once you change technique or you change volume, depending on what the phase, or you change uh, the range of motion you're doing something, you have to have recovery principles that address that specifically. And, yeah. you know, we can go into that more later, but just people should know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. We want to keep uh, these kind of short when it comes to the lifts and programming and things. So move on to some um, podcast questions we got here. Uh, let's see. Um, what matters more to athletic success, talent or character? <laughs> this one's, uh, for me, from what I've seen, it's pretty easy and it's going to be character. Um, can I just agree now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can have all the talent in the world and we've seen talent come through this gym. Um, I've coached plenty of talent around the country. Um, but I've watched, you know, character flaws in these people where um you know you can have all the talent in the world but if you're not willing to do what i guess the coach tells you to do you know put in the the effort for yourself um have a good mindset towards everything you know we've we've seen it where someone has you know the raw talent but you know what they hit a lift and then all of a sudden they're crying because they they hit a you know they miss their lift or whatever and um you know, or they're they're whining in the corner because they missed a lift, or you know, you gotta ha have a little bit tougher character there, and you gotta understand that the uh, the the road is long to everything. You're gonna miss lifts, um, but then from you, there's so many areas we can go into with the character side of it. But uh, for me, it's it's always gonna be you need to have the the right character and the right attitude towards your training and um, a long outlook on it not a short outlook on it but um yeah and i mean again we could go a million different ways with that but for me it's it's character and you said you agree so. oh absolutely yeah. i mean it's rare to find the combination of character and talent i don't it know is. why yeah um and maybe it's like you're, you're spoiled for what you do or don't have. Mm -hmm. So you have someone who doesn't have a lot of talent and they realize it and they see people who have talent and they're like, man, I wish I was as good as that. And so they're willing to work 
to yeah. play catch up versus people who have talent and it comes easily and the idea of work isn't mm-hmm. embedded in them because it's like, well, it's always been easy. Well, yeah. I shouldn't say easy, but uh, it comes with less effort. Yeah. But man, the the character that people show both in the gym and out of the gym is so telling on how well they're going to progress. And yeah, talent might put a limit on how far you can progress, mm-hmm. but it the character decides on whether or not you make it to that limit or not. Yeah. And we, we've seen too, and I, the, you know, uh, Dan from uh, Rubber City Weightlifting is the one that asked this. And, um, you know, I know he's seen it and I've seen it where, you know, someone comes in, they have some talent, but their ego is so big about themselves that they expect like the attention on them 100% of the time. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a jealousy thing, like that little kid, you know, like a kid, like, sibling jealousy like why are you paying attention to that other person or whatever i'm good too look at me um yeah or they feel like oh i didn't get enough attention so they might move on to um you know he's had it where they've moved on to another coach or something thinking things are gonna be better and nope things are the same you move on to another coach thinking something nope things the same you are the least common denominator three or four coaches i mean it's probably you it's probably not them so um yeah check your ego and you know, understand that your coach is usually trying to help you. That's usually their job. So, um, you know, but if you don't show them a good attitude back too, you got to understand they're still going to help you. That is what they pay, you know, you pay them to do. But at the same time, you could get dropped from the coach just as easily if you have a poor attitude. So Mm -hmm. um, let's see what's the next one. Uh, Stress management. I'm I'm the wrong person to ask for that. Um, I'll, I'll say this. Um, as you get older and as you carry more responsibilities, as you try to progress in life, the more things you t- take on, the higher your stress levels are going to be. Um, you know, I think that's something that you can kind of work up and realize like, okay, maybe that's not as stressful as I thought. You know, and you push again past your comfortability zone. But, um, you know, you're going to have to kind of find for yourself, I guess, what helps you kind of reduce stress um you know for me i I just try to simply get away i isolate myself that's the type of person i am so um you know i i've done the things where i go do a hobby by myself you know fish golf or whatever um i'll go on a drive and just drive wherever Mm -hmm. you know go sit at a lake or just whatever i need to do to kind of separate myself from everything but um yeah sorry to burst your bubble but your stress is only going to go up as you get older because you're going to have more priorities um than you know you do now typically so yeah this person that's asking is in their um their mid-20s so so a couple things that come to mind on this um i actually never had as far as i knew maybe this is just me not having any self-awareness whatsoever um in my late teens through my mid twenties, I never had anxiety. Mm. And I think part of it was because I was always so tired that my body didn't perceive anxiety as stress. It perceived as like, Oh, thank God I finally have energy. And then as I started to handle things with my health issues, my body was like, Oh, we now have enough energy from this to actually feel anxious, to feel stressed. And it was very strange because I found myself for the first time in my entire life, having to figure out ways to handle that. 
And most people, like if you have stress, you kind of have it your entire life. And it might, it, like you said, as you get older, it changes because your life circumstances change. Yeah. Like things get bigger, whether it's work or school yeah. or family, relationships, whatever. Like it keeps kind of growing. Yeah. But what I realized helped me, one, circle of support. Like who are the people you turn to automatically? Yeah. Do you have that? Figure out who that is. And that circle, it changes. So the stress I have about work, like Justin, uh, the other coaches here at Unrivaled, you know, Dan at Rubber City, um, other mentors I turn to, like they're the people I talk to about work. They're the mm-hmm. circle of support for that, yeah. for business. And then there's the circle of support for like relationship issues or for like just family and financial issues. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to keep having these separate circles, but you got to know who you're turning to. Because yeah, if, yeah. if you don't have someone... And I'm not talking about the person you go and whine to. It's the person you turn to. Like, I need to talk about this. Can you help me out? Like, yeah. help me figure something out. Yeah. Um, I think that's been a weakness of, of mine for a long time is I've always, uh, always been that person that I just handle it myself. Yeah. And, oh, that this pro- I kind of handle it myself. And, like, maybe when I was younger, like, I asked some people questions here or there. But for the most part, since, you know, I've been 18, I've been on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certain people I've turned to, like, for you know that I know have had business and like I'll have conversations on yeah. business with them, um, and I'll kind of bring up these things, hoping to get some feedback of like, okay, tell me what the fuck to do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I, I think you're right with the the circle of support um, is important, and and sometimes that's hard to find. That's, it is. You know, that's always been kind of one of my things is that it was always hard to find that. Um, so I kind of still just handle things mostly for mm-hmm. myself. It is. It is hard to find. It's um, something that is an active process too. Like that's a conversation we can have in the future that I think would be really good. But realizing that the person that you turn to for support doesn't owe you anything. No. So you can't just put your burden on them and be like, I need you to figure this out. I need you to fix this. It's like, I have this issue. Is there anything that you might be able to do to help me with it or to understand it? And then allowing them, if they have nothing, they have nothing. That's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Um Again, they don't owe you anything, and you have to be actively involved in that process, which is what makes it even harder. Because when you finally decide, like, oh, I'm going to turn to this person and ask for help, and then they're like, I I don't have anything for you. I'm sorry. You can't be mad at them about that. Um, Again, like, okay, got to reach out and got to try to find someone else or handle this on my own. Uh, The next one, habits. I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but... The more that you're able to dial things in on what you do and when you do them, how you do them, not so that you're completely rigid in that, the less that you have to spend your time and energy figuring other shit out. Mm. Just like get things organized. Yeah. I think, um, you know, nothing, again, it depends on what we're exactly talking about, but you need to face your stressors head on. Like you need to, you need to attack them. Um, While you're attacking them, you can also take breaks from them and block and block it out for a minute. I am not <laughs> saying do not walk away from stresses in your life or things that you need to take care of. This is mm-hmm. one of the biggest things I see people do and it, it annoys me. Like do not walk away. That that problem is not gonna mend itself. No. Do not walk away from the problem. Do not try to avoid the problem. Do not try to block it all out like it doesn't exist because it will come back 10 times harder on you, and I can promise you that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to forcefully attack it, but then also take breaks. Mm-hmm. So if it's something like, okay, in college, 
I didn't, we didn't have a great math program where I went to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, that was evident by in our remedial math in college is mm-hmm. what they called it. Um, there were eight people in my class from my high school. Whoa. Yeah. Just in my class. I wasn't counting the rest of them yeah. all right, that I graduated with. And these people all carried high grades throughout high school. I'm like, why the fuck are you guys in here? Like I knew <laughs> I was bad at math, but why are you in here? All right. But when I went to college, I had sometimes, and there's no shit, four hours a night spending on math problems because I I had to run everything on it and I it took me longer and I didn't fully understand it. Yeah. And, you know, even in these classes, like I would go ask the teachers, I fucking even got a tutor on stuff. Like mm-hmm. I just, that higher level of math was hard for me. Yeah. And when I'm talking like higher level for me was... Um, I guess it would be considered like that pre-calculus kind of stage okay, yeah. when things just kind of start to get jumbled up there. Mm. Um, but growing up, like you give me the basic math. I mean, I had high levels on math from a young age. And then once you started throwing in those, like out, once I got to algebra two, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. You know, but anyway, but I didn't ignore the problem. I attacked it head on. Mm-hmm. But when I did have those long, long, you know, sessions at home where I had to focus on that, I stepped away from it. I did something else for a little bit, and then I came back to it and finished it out. Um, but everyone's got their strength and weaknesses. Like I blew other courses out of the water, never studied for them. Mm-hmm. Half of my major I never had to study for, and that you know, and I finished with a three nine. Like I didn't really study. It's it was a joke to me. But anyway, um, so the two things as I think it's funny you brought those up, but. I wrote down a couple things when you read the question in the last two of them where you have to have a practice of stress tolerance and you have to have a practice of stress reduction. Um, and those are directly related to the problem that you're facing. Mm-hmm. So you have to have something in place for you. No one can tell you what that is. Like we can give examples like your example with the math, like what was your stress tolerance for it? Like you just took it as like, all right, I'm going to spend four hours. Yeah, even though I'm I wanted to throw out. it against the wall and like right, you just cuss out my teachers and just I've been, you know, screw math forever. I had to face it head on. I've been trying to study games. neurobiology for the past two weeks for an exam that I had today. It did not go well. <laughs> um, but you can only study for so long as you're going through and you yeah. but stepping away from it, it's important to note on that 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 goes with what you're saying. You don't run away from it. Mm-hmm. You're actively removing yourself so that when you Never come back to it, you're in a better place. Yeah. So, you know, you gave the example, like you go for a drive. Um, a lot of times I'll go for a run, uh, whether it's, or it's meditating or it's reading. Mm-hmm. You're choosing those things because you know they have a certain effect for you that accomplishes the goal of relaxing yeah. in whatever way that needs to be so that you can come back to the task later in yeah. a better state. You know, it, these are all just, they're conscious, active choices. And, you know, going back to the person that asked this and, you know, me and, and a lot of other people that probably listen to this, you know, my stress relief is the, is the fucking gym. Mm-hmm. When I come in, I look like I'm going to murder someone and you might see me like mummer into myself. That is me taking out my aggression and my stress on those weights to one, still better myself. But then when I mm-hmm. hit those hard sessions is when I leave feeling the most calm mm-hmm. and the best. You know, you can find me after a um, a hard session that was good, and I do have like that endorphin rush. Yeah, I'm much happier than when I started. I think people, so. you need to find that for you. We get caught up a lot of times in getting these suggestions for stress management, where like, hey, you should journal and you should meditate and you should go for walks. Like, what if that doesn't work for you? 
Yeah. And not like, not everyone I'm not gonna use that word, but some of us <laughs> were born more aggressive. Some of us were born um to push back on our stressors and, and fight everything head mm-hmm. on. You know, some of us weren't born to do that stuff. Uh so. I like I'll use running a lot of times and when I talk about it, um it's not for exercise. Mm-hmm. Like that is my therapy. And some people hate running so much that the idea of using that as therapy, like you were saying with weights, like you come in, you take yeah. it out on the bar. For me, it's I need to go for a couple of miles. Yep. And by the time I'm done, I feel better. Back when I wasn't a fat ass, I was. <laughs> I mean, I used to do it two in the morning. It was common to see me run through. You'll probably see me run through Belden mm-hmm. at two in the morning. I, you know, luckily never got hit by a drunk driver. But like I, I would. You know, two in the morning sometimes, just stress, couldn't sleep, or go. I'd go for a run or whatever. Um, now it's kind of something since I was young. Actually, I think it back. Um, I remember being in middle school and being like, you know, pissed off about something. You know, my hormones are starting to kick in, so I'd be doing like push-ups and sit-ups in my parents' basement and like mm-hmm. go on sprints and stuff because I like to 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 get all that out. You know, so um, like you said, it wasn't necessarily the exercise; it was. Um, to, to exert it and to, right. to feel calm from something that isn't exactly the most calming thing. Right. So, um, all right. Try to get to the last question. I didn't think that one would take us <laughs> too long, but oh no, that's a big one though. Yeah, yeah. Um, what uh, should and shouldn't you do? Uh, shouldn't should 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 not be done before a training session. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, basically what should, what should and shouldn't be done before a training session. Um, you know, highlighting that, important things would be hydration, uh, making sure that your food's on point mm-hmm. throughout the day and before the session. So we'll see this all the time where people will, you know, eat their breakfast, eat their lunch, maybe lunch at 11 or noon. They're coming into train after work at 4, 4.30, mm-hmm. haven't ate anything since lunch, yeah. didn't bring anything to eat before, didn't eat anything on the way. Um, and expect their training to be don't have anything with them while they're here yeah don't have anything with you while you're here and expect expect your training to be on point um so you know make sure that you know an hour before training session make sure you're getting an hour and a half before get a solid meal in and then right before that training session or while you're warming up no one's you can eat a piece of fruit you can have um you know when i'm working out i have a drink that has aminos electrolytes and then um I put in enough dextrose to get me about 18 grams of carbs in there, sometimes a little bit higher, okay. closer to like 24 grams of carbs in there. Um, so I'm getting those quick sugars through my intro. Um, and if I know I might have not been able to eat um, as much as I wanted to before I came in, I try to drink that drink a little bit quicker mm-hmm. um, through like pre-training and then into warm-ups and stuff. So I get to utilize a little bit quicker, um, things like that. Um, so th- those are kind of the two big things. Again, there's, we can go through a whole thing of how to list your day, um, should not do, uh, what this was big in the summer. People would be out at the pool all day. Um, and it come in at five o'clock, just drained, mm-hmm. you know, or they would go and, you know, if you have a labor job, that's one thing, but if you're going on a three mile hike before you come in for squats, that's not the smartest thing to do. No. Um, it wasn't a client of mine, but one kid, uh, I remember in the spring had talked about spring, pretty sure it was in the spring. 
um, it was right before, I think it was right before all the meets were shutting down. Like he went on a trip and God, what'd he do? Like a something stupid. It was like 10 miles worth of walking. You know, like he's not, you know, right. like walker, you know, forever. But he did something like 10 miles, I think, um, over two days or something. But he had mm-hmm. a meet in like a, a week. And God. that just, just that exertion that didn't seem like too much right you know exerted him enough that it affected his legs you mm-hmm. know? so things like that just you have to be smart understand what your training's uh taken out of you and understand your timing so like if it's a deload week you might be able to get away with a little bit more yeah but if it is you know your heavy week and you're exerting excessively outside of the gym beyond what's needed and then you're not fueling back for that not sleeping properly mm-hmm. you're gonna have some issues so um, I'll let you go expand on that a little bit. My big thing is seeing people that don't have an idea of what they need to do for a warm up based on what they've been doing that day. If you've got someone who has a really active job and they come in and they spend like 30 to 40 minutes warming up, that's useless. Yeah. It's a waste of time. Yep. Please stop. I mean, not even get into the specifics of what they're doing for their warm up, which is a different conversation. But warm up should be, you know, 10 minutes, 15 yeah. max. Like, Unless you've been sitting down for eight hours. In that 15 minutes, you should be under a bar or something. The bar should be moving within that time. The point of your warm-up, not to cut you off, but the point of your warm-up is to get warmed up. So move your ass, get things going, get your blood flowing. Um, And then from there, which you've helped me a lot on, is pinpoint. Okay, what's feeling off? What's tight? What's hurting? You know, and then attack those things. I mean, I've had conversations with practitioners and they're like, I can get someone warmed up and ready to go for injury prevention in five minutes. And mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. Yeah. The only time that I would not, I would encourage a warm up to be longer is exactly like you just said, where you have specific things that you have to address for you for that day's lift. Yeah. If you have something going on with your trap and it's not going to affect what you have to do for that day. You don't worry about it right then, mm-hmm. unless for some reason you just, and you shouldn't. Like you don't have to fit it in right then. Yeah. You, like you skip it. If you're doing thirty minutes of soft tissue work prior to lifting, either one something's completely jacked up with your program. Two Crossing. something's really jacked up with like your body as you're going through, or you just have terrible time management where you're putting it at the wrong time. Like there, that's there was times in. Uh, in CrossFit, there was times at certain gyms, I'm, again, I'm not going to blast gyms, but there was times we did uh, 25, 30 minutes of mobility and warm-up before anything else. And, and okay, let's give them a benefit of the doubt. They're probably doing it because no one's probably working on that stuff outside yeah. of that. But you also have to understand that's also the client's responsibility to yes. do those things. So um, why it's good to show them those, that's not warming them up and preparing them no. for training when you're completely cool you know like you might go on a little warm-up uh, run whatever row whatever they had you do you know do this do that and then you start doing mobility before you know it like half class is over and then you have a you know 10 minutes to lift and a five minute wad and class is done mm-hmm. Wait, what yeah so um there are very few sports and activities that require that amount of dedication prior to the workout or practice um and they are few and far between. Mm. And I, unless someone comes in, they're like, uh, I'm a gymnast or 
Uh, you could probably take ballet in forms of dance that required that much work prior. And yeah, that's about it. Yeah. There, if I'm missing some, that's fine, but yeah. it is, they are outliers. Yeah, there's very few. Again, I think it comes down to more of lack of time management, that those things should be getting done at different times, and especially not ahead of time, which the negative consequence of doing them prior is, again, yeah. a different conversation too. Yeah, don't so don't show up and just throw a plate on and start going, but also, you know, don't take 20 minutes just to be able to, you know, and you're not even halfway through your warm-up. That doesn't do any good. Five, ten minutes, go. Yeah, unless, you know, if something pops up on me, like, and I know it's very important for that day mm-hmm. to make sure that thing's running right. And, I, and this from knowing my body too. Yeah. Like I know that, okay, I can get under and I can hit some squats, but then this is going to, I have to go back and address this. Then I address it during those light loads also. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. So, um, all right. That last question, actually, I, we can make that a whole episode. Yep. So, <laughs> so making some um, notes here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll keep it at that. And, um, We'll move on to uh, wrapping this all up. So hopefully that information kind of helps you guys. Um, for the next uh, couple episodes here, I'll continue to post Q and A. Um, not that we we might not get to them every episode. We might save them and uh, wrap it all up in one episode. We'll see how things go. But uh, please continue to ask questions. Please make sure you're subscribed. Uh, share with your friends. Continue to push out the information, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. See you later.